What's going on? Welcome back to the show. Tonight's episode with uh, returning guest Megan Sereda. Update on her uh, last year. She was on the show about a year ago. Update on her uh, journey with depression, anxiety. She is crushing it and proving doctors wrong. Awesome episode. Uh, I learned a ton from her last time, and this one is as good or maybe a little bit better. I'd uh, love to hear your feedback. Leave us a review. Hit that subscribe button. Later. Obviously through Carl. Yeah. At Starbucks? Yeah. Yeah. It was so impressive, Carl. She had a notebook (laughs) with notes on every episode. I did. Wow. And now today I'm I'm doing the complete opposite because that's just how my anxiety worked this time. There you go. Very different. Yeah. Last time I needed to like over prepare and this time I'm like, no, we're just not going to think about it until I get there because I I just couldn't. I thought you were the only, I, I thought I was the only person that listened to it at that point. But no, I listened to every episode up to that point. Oh, not anymore, hey? I listened to a lot of them, <laughs> but not every single one. Any good ones that you liked? Um, the cannabis one I really liked. We've done a few. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was who was that one? The uh, Nadia. She's the lady that runs the CBD oil company. Yeah, it was the CBD oil one. Oh, we also had uh, uh, Abby. Abby, yeah, who also oh, works in cannabis. I don't think- I don't think it was Abby. I can't remember now. I didn't realize there was two, so obviously I missed one. Mm-hmm. Gotta go back. Abby Guy. Abby Guy. Guy. Oh, so no, I watched a female. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. awesome. Awesome. She has a great personality. She's so bubbly. Cannabis will do that to you. Or it'll do the opposite and you just get very sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the last year. Lots has changed. So much has changed. And you mentioned even just like the way dealing with an anxious situation like doing a podcast yeah has changed too for sure so um i I think it's so cool that a year ago today is when you posted it like i think that that's so full i didn't know that crazy yeah i really like that um good work carl yeah good good planning (laughs) like you did it on purpose um so a year ago i was uh like three weeks sober um I was not working. I was in a very long-term relationship living on the island um, and was really struggling. Uh, A lot of suicidal ideation. Um, Just like way more worse days or like bad days than Mm -hmm. good days. Um, The night of the podcast, my uh, spouse or whatever you want to call him ended our relationship. So like... I left the podcast and uh, even within those like 12 hours, so much had changed. Um, So from then I moved back to the mainland to be with family, um, which was an amazing opportunity. Uh, I've mentioned last time I come from, um, I mean, obviously living in Canada, it's a huge privilege, Mm -hmm. but I also come from a privileged family. And I actually had a few people ask me what I meant by that. And I did not at all mean financially. Um, and that's kind of how people took it. I, I, I meant it more as, um, we're very close. My parents are still together. Mm-hmm. Um, they did everything they could. They were very young when they had my sister and I, 
And they made a lot of sacrifices to make sure that we got what we needed and we had amazing memories. Um, so that's kind of what I meant by privilege. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just continued. Um, I mean, a lot of people who leave long-term relationships and struggle with similar struggles that I do um, end up on the street. So I am beyond grateful and thankful and, and uh, blessed to have been able to lean on my family, um, to have them take me in and financially support me and emotionally support me and help me find counselors and kind of restart my life back here on the mainland. Hmm. Um, so now, a year later, I am single and loving it. I am um, really like focusing on myself and not, not worrying too much about not being single. Whereas before, um, it was almost like a huge part of my personality or of like my identity was that I was part of this long-term relationship. Um, so kind of stepping back from that is amazing. Um, I have just over a year now under my belt for sobriety, um, which again, plays such a huge part in my mental illness and my mental illness played such a huge part in my addiction. Um, I'm working, what? Which is crazy. And it's a full-time job, um, which is something the doctors told me I would never do again. Um, so kind of a huge accomplishment, which I struggle to acknowledge, but I'm very, very proud of, of that piece. Um, and I'm living on my own now. I'm, uh, I went from, I've never lived on my own. Um, I went from living with my ex to living with my parents and now I'm on my own. Um, which is a huge testament to like where I'm at right now. I'm not saying that everything is perfect. I still very much have bad days, but the good days for once in a really long time are outweighing those bad days. Um, I'm working, I'm taking care of myself, I'm independent, um, which is all things I couldn't really say a year ago. So as hard as it is for me to admit, I'm, I'm proud of the last year. Um, granted, it started off uh, really taking a dip after that breakup, but I can't be more grateful for him ending that relationship, to be honest. Um, coming back here and realizing what actual unconditional support is made a very big difference. Not to like slag him or his family, um, but they did the best that they could, but I wasn't, I wasn't blood. So coming home and having my sister and my parents and my cousins and like being able to lean on these people who I know 100% support me has been a huge, huge help uh, in, in my recovery, in my continued recovery. First of all, huge. Very, very pumped. Make me blush and like, <clears throat> no, not super like pumped. It, <laughs> super it makes pumped. me physically uncomfortable. Like, I get itchy when people try and like praise me. It's very strange. It's a very strange sensation, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Isn't one of the first things you said to me? After listening to like, let's say the first 20 podcasts or mm -hmm. something like that, is you need to take compliments better. <laughs> Didn't that come <laughs> from you? I definitely did say that. I think you that. maybe mentioned that to Carl and I Carl, think I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. Um, it's very strange because I think the thing that I struggle with taking a compliment is that oftentimes I don't see myself in that light. Mm. I have a pretty negative view on myself, which um, is just the way my brain works. But... I'm really working on trying to like acknowledge the the steps that I've taken and acknowledge how much has changed even just in the last few months. Um, but then looking back at the last year as well. Totally. Um, so it's definitely something I'm working on and I appreciate the the praise. It's just kind of a little, um, a little uncomfortable at times, but I'm working on it. 
a lot to talk about in the summary of the year, of course. Yeah. But one of the things that really st- stuck out to me there was obviously when you're communicating with doctors, mm-hmm. they are understanding that you're struggling mm-hmm. with some things mentally. I can't understand why a doctor would find it a good thing to hmm. go out of their way and say, mm-hmm. Megan, look, we're going to provide you with some help. But just so you know, you're likely not going to work. Yeah. Like, doesn't that seem like super pessimistic? A hundred percent. We kind of, I think last time talked about that really bad psychiatrist that I yes, had. Right. Um, yeah. Who put this glass ceiling on me. Don't right. be a mom, but you'll be a great aunt. Right. Don't try and coach a baseball team, but like you can be the bat mom. And just kind of that, that kind of bullshit, right? Hmm. Um, and the unfortunate thing is he's a doctor. He has so many years of experience and schooling under his belt that I just instinctively believed him. I um, was such an, in such a dark place. I was like, well, if the doctor thinks I'm screwed up, then like I clearly am screwed up. Um, and I, I almost like stopped fighting. Uh, I came back over here and kind of having that reminder from my friends and family that like, you can still do things. It may be a little bit harder, um, but you're fully capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. I also got uh, a new therapist and a new doctor in psych over here, um, which has been, one, very difficult to do in the first place. There's a lot of hoops to jump through and there was a lot of barriers and kind of bullshit through the system. But once it was all settled, um, those new doctors have been amazing. They're very, um, they're very supportive. They're very, very influential in a very positive way. Um, and I think that that's taken a, um, has been a benefit to me to be reminded of my potential. Totally. Um, and kind of in that, that year, essentially proving that doctor wrong on every, almost every piece. I'm not a mom. <laughs> You'll probably know more about this than me, but mm. isn't mental illness very difficult to diagnose? Like in terms of whether you suffer from a little bit of anxiety or like it, it takes over your life. Yeah. So it's like, what is that doctor assessing Mm -hmm. in terms of saying, okay, well, she's never going to work again, but this woman over here, Mm -hmm. she maybe isn't struggling as bad. So let's start her out part-time work if we're talking about career specific. Yeah, for sure. So um, there's a thing called the DSM. So it's a, I don't know, statistical manual on diagnosing mental health or mental illness. And it's um, almost an algorithm. So it's like, do you hit three out of five of these symptoms for more than 30 days or whatever the mental illness kind of criteria is for that mm. specific? Um, so a lot of them follow that. The, specifically my doctor who kind of set that, that limit for me. Um, I had been working with him for over a year. So my assumption is that he was taking um, my progress or lack thereof into consideration as well as kind of the increase in panic attacks, the increase in severity. Um, so I don't really know why, why like he treated me that way and maybe not others. I mean, obviously I wasn't in the room with other people and I hope that um, they had different experiences with him. Isn't that just like such a subjective test? It is 100%, most like, definitely. It's a continuum, right? Like right. it's mental health and mental illness is a continuum. Um, some days I'm at one point in the continuum and the next day I'm in a very different point. So it's so fluid and it's always changing. That's why you need to kind of constantly see your doctor so that they're seeing you at different points of the continuum and they can kind of make an average, right? So like I said before, 
uh, my bad days very much outweighed my good days. And now that's kind of flipped and my good days outweigh my bad days. So I think that that kind of like measurement of good versus bad, um, though very black and white and mental health is very gray, Mm -hmm. um, is kind of how they do it. It's not like you can take a test and go, yep, you're positive, which is actually um, a really good point because the Canadian Mental Health Association right now is getting funding because they've done research where it's a saliva test and it can tell you if you're predisposed to mental health. So we talked last time about how mental health or mental illness can be um, like nature or nurture. Sure. So the, the nurture piece or the DNA piece where you're predisposed to it, um, apparently you can test in saliva now, which is phenomenal. Wow. Also, what that test will show you is how you metabolize different medications. So there's obviously different classes of medications. Um, and originally, the one that I was on, my body wasn't able to metabolize. So I was essentially just pissing it out every day. Um, and it wasn't really doing anything. Um, so then it'll help find, um, find better and more accurate or more useful meds as well. So that instead of, uh, of doing multiple med changes, maybe it's just one or two within that class. You're not trying different classes of meds, if that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> I, st- I, don't re- I don't really understand this this test thing that like this specific doctor kind of puts you through the DSM. It's just, yeah. it's just like a DNA test, right? Like a, it looks for genetic. No, mark- it, no he's talking no, no, about the DSM. Oh, the algorithm. The, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, it's not the saliva. Cause um, like it, it can just be it. altered. Like his perception of how you're doing today can just, can be altered by so many things. Like 100%. maybe, had, maybe he just had went out for lunch and the server was really rude. And he's like, he's angry. Yeah, most so definitely. He's be like, ah, oh, Megan's not doing very well today. Exactly. Um, so I think that's just the medical system in general. Ideally, they would be kind of neutral, but mm-hmm. we're all humans. That's not ne- that's not possible all the time. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of frustrating. But a lot of like, so for depression, for example, mm-hmm. it's a self analysis test where it's like a questionnaire. Right. It's like, do you feel this? Do you not feel this? Do you feel this? How frequently do you feel this? And then your score, it tells you if you're moderately depressed, severely depressed, whatever. Right. Again, it's not, it's, it's science, but it's also not science. It's a very weird in between. And that's why I say mental illness is so gray. And it's almost like you need to work with different doctors. So like a doctor and a psychiatrist and a clinical counselor or a social worker to kind of get that whole approach. Because mm-hmm. if one doctor's telling you you're sick and then one doctor's telling you you're doing really well, there's obviously a disconnect and then you can kind of address it a little bit more. Whereas with one doctor, like my psychiatrist, me te- or him telling me that I wasn't doing well, that was the only voice I was hearing. That was right. the only opinion. Um, so I would definitely say get as many opinions as possible and also advocate for yourself a little bit more than I did during that time. Um, I mean, it's catch 22 because I was struggling. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I was really fighting for anything at that point. Um, and it was almost weirdly validating to hear that he also thought I was screwed up, um, which is the very opposite of what I needed in that moment. That was um, that was one of the things I was going to say is like, if you're self-assessing, if mm-hmm. you're checking off, you know, whatever questionnaire that yeah. it is, if you're looking for validation, mm-hmm. you're probably going to score yourself a little more negative 100%. than if like in the back of your head, you're understand that you maybe are struggling with mm-hmm. some things, but you're here for help exactly and also what's going on in that day that you're taking that test right exactly are you taking it at home 
Are you taking it with a doctor sitting directly across from you? Are you taking it by yourself? Is a doctor writing down your your answers or a counselor? So like I said, it's very it's very subjective. Probably um, time of day would make a difference too. Sure. Remember your dollar? Yeah. Uh, little yeah. system. I think about that all the time now, Good. Megan. Oh, that's awesome. And yesterday was a day that my hundred bucks ran out super fast. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like at 11 a.m. And I didn't get home from work till like 10 p.m. So the well, next so 12 hours was just exhausting. Well, and so you've used today's money too then. You, Potentially. You took it to, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I woke up a little uh, drowsy. Let's yeah, say that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Um, oh, yeah. But even like time of day, like 100%. if you had a really anxious, busy morning exactly, yeah. and you're taking it in the afternoon, you're probably scoring yourself much more negative well, than if yeah. you woke up at eight o'clock, had a bath. Exactly. And then went sure. to the meeting at 10 o'clock. For sure. It, it's, uh, I mean, I've taken the test too many times to count. Mm-hmm. Um, every doctor likes to kind of have their own version of it. Mm-hmm. But I know that there's times where I'm like, yeah, I'm doing really well. Like, I'm not that bad. Um, so my, my answers are more like, like threes out of fives, right? Sure. So kind of the middle of, middle of the continuum, whereas other times I'm like almost all fives. And I'm, I'm just like as bad as it gets. So you could look at that and go, wow, this girl's not going to make it through the day. Um, and then the next day I take the quiz and it's like, yeah, you know, she could probably work. Like she's, she's figuring this out. So it's very much day to day. But that being said, mental illness in general is very much day to day, right? So we talked about the difference in a year, but even look at the difference in today's Wednesday. So say the weekend in today or yesterday and today. Is, is different as well, right? This morning and this evening is different. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of always changing and always fluid. So it's more of, of kind of like an average of, of the good versus the bad, um, which I hate those two labels, but like the hard versus the easier maybe, right? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I struggle with that a little bit. And I guess there's no better system currently mm-hmm. where the, maybe this, maybe science will continue to progress Hopefully, to... Yeah be able to understand it more by saliva tests and things like that. Right? Yeah. It's just, it seems like I love that people are talking about mental health a lot more. Mm-hmm. Do you find that as a big positive or what, are there negatives involved with people talking about it so much more? Because it seems it's definitely louder. And what I mean by louder is people are talking about it, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Most definitely. Do you think because it's being talked about so much more that some people maybe think they're in a worse position than they are? Just like comparison wise? And yeah, and maybe maybe because they're hearing it so much in the media mm-hmm. or hearing a lot about it in the media that they're now going in and, and filling out this test thing and they're marking themselves much more negative because it's like constantly being talked about. What I, I'm kind of getting at is yeah. I don't, the idea of having a test, marking yourself negative, and then someone giving you, here's, here's drugs, you need this. Yeah. It's almost like a a downward spiral. A hundred percent. Most definitely. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a negative. I think that the biggest piece is all this talking about it has reduced a lot of stigma, which is allowing more people to feel comfortable going to the doctor. Yeah. So, um, 
diagnoses and like trips to the ER and and counseling is all increasing, Mm -hmm. which makes it look like it's worse. But it's more about the fact that more people are actually reaching out for help um, because they didn't feel comfortable or they didn't feel safe or maybe uh, their community didn't offer any supports. So it does. um, I mean, I can't speak to to the taking the test and it kind of really influencing you. Mm. Um, I think it would be maybe just more like honesty and um, like self-awareness because there's so much talk about self-care and there's so much talk about mindfulness. Mm. So a lot of people who maybe kind of numbed out or pushed it away um, when they're mindful, they're able to kind of acknowledge and connect with their body and their mind a little bit better. Um, I struggle with the idea that talking about it is negative Mm -hmm. just because we still don't talk about it enough. Mm. Um, there's still stigma. There's still um, people who don't have access to to resources. Mm. Um, and a lot of people, so like Bell Let's Talk, hopefully this is coming out right around there, Carl. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're yearly or annually, um, they do this amazing fundraiser. So they've actually got some slack based on the fundraiser that they do because it goes to a bunch of resources, uh, which is amazing. They've, mm-hmm. they've raised millions and millions of dollars. Um, but they get a little bit of slack because there's still wait times. There's still all of this kind of negative connotation around mental illness. Um, but they've opened um, multiple recovery centers. They've, they've funded a lot of free counseling. So you can't eradicate the issues or you can't eradicate um, the negative stigma, but they are, they're making huge progress and they're doing a lot of steps. It's also not up to just Bell. Right. I mean, other companies can totally jump on this bandwagon and, and um, get some fundraising going as well, right? Yeah. I guess maybe does it have a negative connotation? It was not necessarily the right wording to mm-hmm. use, but I guess the reason I brought that up is because I've had these thoughts too of like, Yes, there's very anxious periods mm-hmm. throughout my life. Do I feel like I'm in a depression? I don't think so, but mm-hmm. like there's definitely times that are much worse than others. For sure. And then I think about like, should I go to a counselor? Should, you know, like, Everyone should, should I just have counselor. these conversations? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure other people think this way too, but I think there's people that need this help more than me. I don't want to take up the resources. Okay, I hear that, but you're also worthy of kind of feeling better, right? So with depression specifically, there's like episodic depression, which it sounds like like maybe you're experiencing. So it's more um, a week here and there or like a month or like something happened that's really kind of triggered you. Whereas um, like generalized anxiety or like clinical depression is just this blanket. So it doesn't really matter what's going on in the day or or that week. It's just you feel like crap. which is not to like minimize episodic, but it's very frustrating not knowing where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hate that you think that you don't deserve it or that other people deserve it more because um, I think everyone should go to therapy. Like, honestly, it's amazing. Um, I know that there's stigma with it. And I know for a lot of people, it's not possible due to price, due to wait lists. There are free counseling, but those wait lists are obviously even longer. Right. Um, But everyone deserves it. It's just nice to have a third person party sit with you and kind of break down what's going on, give you a little bit of of like constructive criticism in a way where it's 
they challenge your thoughts, they challenge like your behaviors, and they they really look at like the motive of all of this and why why you're continuing to do those behaviors, right? Right. So, uh, for example, self harm. Um, you're obviously getting something out of that behavior. So, what is that, mm-hmm. and how can we maybe find a uh, less harmful way of doing that? Right. So, like instead of so harm reduction and self uh, self harm chapter or area would be instead of of using like a cutting technique you can go and sit in a cold bath or like with the snow here go stand in the snow with no socks on so it's that it's that same like huge physical reaction Mm -hmm. that's not gonna leave you with scars not gonna be like really long lasting if that makes sense yeah Mm mm-hmm Maybe that's why Jamie jumps in a pool every morning. <laughs> well, there's this thing called the, uh, I can never pronounce it, but it's essentially the mammal diving technique. So it's a research that says if you, you can reduce your heart rate. So anxiety, your heart rate usually mm-hmm. goes up. So you can reduce your heart rate, heart rate by about 50 to 70% by turning upside down, holding your breath and dunking your head into cold water. So the whole idea is when we were like cavemen, we would, dive into the water and it would drop our heart rate significantly. So we can also do that now with a sink of cold water. Hold your breath, make sure your head's upside down, dunk your head as long as you can hold it. I've done it in therapy with a heart rate monitor and mine dropped 72%. My heart rate instantly, we watched it. Wait, why, why is the heart rate drawn? Um, because you're shocking your system. You're shocking your system with that different physiological sensation, right? Mm. You're also... Um, not in pain. So for example, the standing outside with your, in the snow with no, no shoes on, it's just such a a physio physiological sensation that your body shuts everything else down because that's the only thing it can focus on. If that, yeah, Mm -hmm. I've done it and it's very, um, very helpful. For some reason, cold makes, uh, makes a bigger difference than hot. Um, it's kind of the idea of like, people say like, oh, go splash cold water on your face. It's just a little bit more extreme than that. But that's, I think, where it stems from. I want to come back to this doctor. <laughs> we are not a fan of him. Let's I'm just confused. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking from no. a medical perspective, how is it in any way helpful to like just be so concrete and say, mm. I get if you break your spine, mm-hmm. the likelihood of you not walking again, probably high. I know two right. people who still walk after their spine has been broken. That's exactly my point, right? It's That's very gray. Right. Because health well, in general is gray. How you're going to react to a situation or like a broken bone is very different than how I'm going to react. You could sure. break your leg and I could break the exact same part of my leg and you heal way faster than I heal, right? It's the same, same with mental health and mental illness and, and psychiatrists and psychologists. Um, they need to look at it more like base, base on base, not everybody is going to deal with things the same way. So how do you react or like move forward from that conversation with that specific person? That's a great question. Um, I went home and had a very severe, I don't even think I made it home after that appointment. And I think I was in my car and I, which is, I know not his, his purpose. The way I perceived it was, this is as good as it's going to get. And I thought, why the hell am I fighting but anymore? Why would he ever tell you that? Like, how is that beneficial? That's I have what I'm no trying idea. To out, right? Was he prescribing sure. you anything? Uh, yes. Well, I think I just figured it out, guys. Right? Big Pharma. 
Could he just, um, yeah, he's like almost like talking down to you so you don't get better. Well, that's kind of, I mean, I would like to think, and I really try and think that everyone's doing the best that they can in that moment. Um, that's what Brene Brown has taught me. Um, so I don't want to think that he was trying to be malicious because that's a whole other issue. Um, and I don't even want to open that can of worms. Mm -hmm. The mental, uh, the medical system itself is so messed up, um, physically or mentally, like you're jumping through hoops, you're like bending over backwards. It's insane to try Mm -hmm. and get support. Yeah. So I don't want to think that he's trying to add to that problem. Um, maybe he is, but, but for my own sanity, Mm -hmm. I don't want to think that. Um, I do like the idea of like, maybe he was at the grocery store before and like someone cut him off or whatever that is. And he, he kind of was bringing that in. Um, but it had a very negative influence on me, right? Like I, I left that appointment. Um, I was very, very upset. I remember telling my parents and my sister and them being very upset, um, and kind of like trying to fight what the doctor was saying, being like, no, 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 you're totally fine. And I went, well, you're not my doctor. Your, what your opinion does not hold as much weight as this guy who has 12 years of education under his belt. Um, and it definitely made me like, ironically more suicidal because I was like, if this is, this is the best and I'm struggling this much, Mm -hmm. it's never going to get better than this. What the hell am I fighting for? What am I, I'm fighting for this. This is not the life that I want. Um, and maybe it's a bad comparison, but it's, it almost felt like when you're given a terminal diagnosis, right? So you know you're going to suffer and you're slowly going to die, like mm-hmm. MS or something like that. And people opt in for doctor-assisted suicides. That's, that's honestly what I felt like. I was like, if this is as good as it gets and I'm going to feel like this for the next 80 years, I'm not for it. I'm not signing up for this. Um, so it was very much counterproductive for him to, to talk to me like that for sure. I, I think that kindness and optimism always wins. And I understand that often we need to be realistic as well with Mm -hmm. that, but for sure. Why can't his, why can't this person's communication to you be more like, you know, we're still, we're still making progress. Exactly. I, you know, I'm really excited about where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, see you again next week. Well, <clears throat> why like, oh shit. Just puts a ceiling on your life. Right? Megan, yes. <clears throat> Megan, this is much worse than I thought. Like, that's, and that's what it that felt good, like. Yeah. I was like, I know I'm fucked up, but like, if you're telling me you're messed up, like that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't really understand it. Um, but I do. So he was a psychiatrist. Um, my counselors did not speak to me the same way. Um, so maybe that's the the disconnect. Whereas counselors kind of have that better empathy, better communication. Um, they're able to kind of see the positive side of things and like that silver lining piece. Whereas he's a doctor. And like Carl said, I really only see my psychiatrist for medications. Um, my counselor is my therapist. My doctor is my therapist. Yes, I see my psychiatrist um, every few months and I, I talk about what's going on, but it's every few months. Whereas mm-hmm. I see my counselor every other week. Right. So the only reason I make appointments with my psychiatrist is when we're in the middle of a med change or we're adjusting things or like something's going on with my meds. Mm-hmm. It's not, the psychiatrists are so hard to get into. The fact that I can see one every three months is a huge privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like a regular thing. So I don't know, um, going back to the, the doctor on the island, I don't really 
know why he was like that or why he wasn't able to be a little bit more supportive or like empathetic mm-hmm. or um, positive at all. Because it's, it's hard being like negative in a room and then your doctor also being negative. Right. You're like, okay, cool. We're on the same page. But like, that's not a great page to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I go to counseling and, and she very much challenges those thoughts, right? Like, so I had a very difficult week the other week. Um, probably as hard as it, it's been in, in the year. Like it was a really, really tough week. Um, and my therapist was like, but look how far you've come. Like let's, she, she really made me, which again is very uncomfortable for me. The whole session was talking about everything that I've gained in the last year. And we talked last time about how your, your brain um, instinctually remembers negative more than positive. And that's just comes from like fight, flight, or freeze, right? Mm-hmm. Your amygdala. So it was very difficult to actually sit down with her, especially in that frame of mind and talk about the positive things that have happened. It was like pulling teeth, I'm sure. Like I feel really bad for her. But I, I honestly, in that moment, the first time she asked me, I was like, nothing. Like, what do you mean? Like nothing has happened. She's like, well, you have a job. I'm like, so everyone my age has a job. I wasn't able to acknowledge how, how big of an improvement that was for me. Mm-hmm. When I'm in those negative spaces, a lot of um, my self-deprecating behavior comes from comparing people to myself. Totally. So being like, oh my God, I'm 29 years old and I live by myself. It feels weird celebrating that because people have been living on their own from the age of 20, right? My younger sister lived on her own and I moved back in with my parents. It's a little, little bit of a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But then to acknowledge like, yeah, okay, I had these barriers and I was able to overcome them to a point where I felt safe enough, which is a huge thing. I felt safe enough with myself being the only person in the house, which is like, that is more important to me than the actual physically moving out on my own. Being okay and feeling like I can trust myself to stay safe, to stay sober when no one else is around to see me yeah. is huge. No one would know if I brought a bottle of wine home. No one would know if I passed out drunk and then went to work hungover. No one would know. But I'm stopping that from happening. And that's 100% on me. Whereas I lived with my parents or I lived with my ex. You can't really do that without, without someone knowing, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's really kind of put that, not the pressure, but like the responsibility on myself. And the fact that I'm able to, to do that kind of just perpetuates that positive feeling of like, yeah, even when I'm struggling and I want to stop at the liquor store or I want to grab um, a bottle of pills, I know that like I don't have to do that completely on my own, um, which is is very nice feeling for once, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before the last podcast, I had over two years of sobriety. Um, that Christmas, <clears throat> I relapsed, uh, which was just a few weeks before before we sat down the first time. Um, and I've been sober since then. So my relapse was one night, um, which again, I'm very grateful for. It could have really started that, that ball rolling again, could have really been, um, kind of a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had that night and I woke up the next morning feeling like shit and being like, this is not what I want. I really, I think we talked about it last time, like short-term goals versus long-term goals. Mm-hmm. Um, the short-term goals are very impulsive. So my goal that night was to not feel a thing. Whereas my long-term goal is to be healthy, to be supportive, to, to be sober. Mm-hmm. And th- in that split second, honestly, I don't remember having the actual thought to drink 
all I, kn- all I knew was I was tasting liquor. It happened that quick. So it's how do I make that space to, to pause and be like, this is not what I want. Mm-hmm. Because looking more at the long-term goals versus that like impulsive short-term gain. Um, yeah, it might be uncomfortable to sit in those emotions, but your long-term goals of being sober, of being healthy, of being um, like a good friend, a good sister, that all is that all stays, yeah. right? So um, that's kind of what I hold on to is that that long-term goal, the, the long-term goals of getting a job, moving out. I said to myself, I'm not dating anybody until I live on my own. I live on my own and I'm like, I don't need to date anybody, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's kind of just taking that ownership on myself that I haven't been able to do in many, many years. Um, so it's really kind of nice to, to lean on myself a little bit more. I mean, I'm so grateful still. I have my parents, I have my sister, they're 15 minutes down the road. Um, but I, I, and I know they're there, worst case scenario. Um, but I also know that I can trust myself more than I, I've been able to do. Mm-hmm. So I try and do it a little bit more on my own. Um, I also fear that I like burn out my, my support system. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what happened with my ex was, uh, he was really my big support. He, we lived together. Um, he saw the worst of the worst. Um, he saw it every single day. He would come home. I'd be in my same pajamas I'd been in for four days. Um, I can't imagine how that is when you love somebody and nothing you do makes a difference. Mm. Um, granted, I told him until I was blue in the face that he needed to take care of himself as well. And he wasn't able to do that. Um, but he very much burnt out on trying to support me. Um, so I have this like fear that if I lean on somebody too much, that relationship is going to be affected. Mm. So whether that be my sister or my parents, who I know instinctually and like healthy Megan is very aware that they love me and support me unconditionally, there's this weird fear that like one day the straw is going to break the camel's back and like that, that support is now gone. I mentioned, I think I mentioned last time that I uh, admired how self-aware you were. Mm. I'm loving the confidence. This, this hey, year. yeah, no, it's um, this is amazing. Seriously. I love seeing it's it. Very interesting. And you know what? It's funny because, um, like I said uh, before, I was not in a good place last night. Mm-hmm. I was over at my sister's. We were talking about turning 30 and I like full on panic attack. Um, and it's so day to day. But I had so many people reach out to me today and say, like, you got this. You're going to kill it. You did so good last time. But then also being able to remind me, like, don't just focus on the negative. Yeah, mm-hmm. the beginning of 2019 was difficult. There was a lot of barriers. There was a lot of hurdles, but also remember of how far we've come, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I kind of like that this is happening a year almost to the day mm-hmm. um, because it's a really interesting way of measuring the time. For sure. Right? You look at day to day and it's like, meh, nothing changed, nothing changed. And then all of a sudden everything has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really trying to stay more positive. Um, it's obviously easier with some people than it is with others. I have some great supports right now. I have a friend who challenges me um, more than I think I've been challenged in a very long time, Um, challenging my thoughts, challenging what motivates those thoughts, um, and kind of like sharing with me uh, that vulnerability piece, right? Um, After the podcast, like I said, it was a very difficult time for me. And when the podcast was posted, I had such amazing response, um, which was very... One, very hard because I was literally curled up in my bed, like 
going through the hardest time of my life and having all these people go, you're so strong. You're so vulnerable. Oh my goodness. I've learned so much from you. Oh my goodness. Your podcast saved my life. All of this phenomenal feedback. And I was curled up under my weighted blanket being like, I don't want to live anymore. So it was very surreal to like, to be experiencing those feelings and then to have everybody not really see that, to kind of see um, what I was not portraying. Because the last time we sat down, that was very much me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I was as positive last time. Um, For sure. Right? So 100%, definitely. Yeah. What, <clears throat> what were like the first few steps? And so how did it go from very difficult to ne- like today? Like in terms yeah. of the job, mm-hmm. a, a lot more optimistic and posi- mm-hmm. positive, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But where did the progress start or how did it start? Um, so getting, so last time we sat down, I was like three or four sessions into that new type of therapy, the EMDR, okay. um, eye movement, desensitization and restructuring. Uh, we briefly talked about it, but mm-hmm. essentially it's rewiring your brain from trauma. Um, when you experience trauma, a part of yourself essentially freezes at that age. So every time I think of that trauma, I'm processing it from a 16-year-old Megan's brain, not a 29-year-old Megan's brain. Really? So yeah. So it's a way of like re-experiencing that trauma, but then going through it in, in the frame of mind or the mind that you have now. Right. You obviously know more now than you did whenever that trauma occurred. Um, so... That has been life-changing. Uh, EMDR has been utterly amazing. Hmm. My therapist, um, I honest, I don't know what I would do without her. Um, she's, she's really uh, very talented <laughs> at what she does. Uh, so that was a huge piece. Uh, again, I wouldn't have been, she's, she's not funded. So um, I wouldn't have been able to afford her initially without my family. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, after that, it was really just kind of focusing on myself. I, I went on a trip by myself to Calgary. I really put myself out there. Um, I went to Montreal to see my best friend. I was doing these things that w- I would have stopped before because of my anxiety. Yeah. Um, but I'm really trying to behave out of anticipation and not out of fear. A lot of my behavior when I was very sick was fear-based behavior. Um, avoiding things, my addiction in general. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to to try and challenge myself. And that's kind of what EMDR did, right? She was telling me that I can be so much more than that one doctor told me. Yeah. So she almost gave me that confidence to like fight back and like trust that the world's not going to end if I push myself a little bit farther. Mm. Um, that being said, like I still have terrible days. I'm not at all saying that I'm I'm like 100% better or anything like that. It's just that my good days very much outweigh my bad days now. Um, Something I've adopted since, or yeah. at least I know how to put into words now <coughs> since the last time we Excuse met me. was everyone sucks. Everyone sucks. Everyone is shit. Yeah, for sure. Carl was not a good podcast producer That's until true. he did a hundred podcasts. Right? I know, right? You learn and get better. A hundred percent. Yeah. I didn't know what to, the hell I was doing when I started selling real estate, but Fair. after you do it a few hundred times, you learn and get better. That's it, right? right? So like the fear every... going, and to me mentally. I'll replay that line in my head all the time. Like did a public speaking event a couple months Ooh, ago. And like, it's terrifying for me. Oh, Absolutely course. terrifying. Yeah. But afterwards you're like, oh, so that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That's awesome. I think I could do a lot better. 
But do it again, right? That was number one, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm understanding that no one is good at the beginning. Exactly. So that fear or that, I don't know if it's a fear of like saying the wrong thing or embarrassing myself by saying the wrong thing or whatever it is. No one cares. No. And that's what I try and remember is everyone's wrapped up in their own shit so much. They're not thinking about you. Like, sorry to break it to you. You're not that important. No. And like, that's something that I really had to. And still have to remind myself because I'm so concerned with what people think of me and mm-hmm. their judgments. And like, oh my God, they're talking about me. Oh my God, she's she's looking at me this way. No, she's not. She's worried about something in her own head. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not even on her radar. How um, do you get over those? So like for me, yeah. replaying that line in my yeah, head, everyone 100%. sucks, yeah. helps me get through that. For sure. How like do you get over those, like that, right? those little scenarios where... Um, Maybe that person's thinking this about me or like yeah, for sure. worrying about others. So something that I just recently heard was your first thought in a situation is like your instinctual thought. Mm-hmm. So any judgments, any um, stories you're creating, the next thought is who you actually are. So that's what I've been really trying to remember. So I walk into a room, oh my God, that girl is judging my outfit, yeah. whatever. And then I, that line just like plays and it goes, that's not the person you are. So what is the next, next thought you can have? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, I think the example is like, look at that hoochie girl wearing that skirt. And then the girl stops. She goes, no, look at that badass bitch. You rock that girl. <laughs> Feminism. And it's like, that's exactly it. Right. Like, like society in my brain makes me think all these negative, crazy things, but that's not the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. So having that, that like second thought and not judging that first thought is huge. I would go, oh yeah, you're, you're so sick that you think X, Y, Z. Instead of being like, no, that's just how my brain works. And this is how I'm going to try and counteract that mm-hmm. uh, the best that I can. Other times, it's like, <laughs> I think we talked about like the conversations between healthy Megan and unhealthy Megan last time. Mm-hmm. And like, it's going to sound crazy, <laughs> which is not a great way of saying it. Um, but it's almost like an a dilemma or like an argument in my head where like unhealthy Megan is going, no, you're crap. And healthy Megan's going, no, but remember you're awesome. And they just kind of, it's like a weird push and pull where I'm like in the middle and I'm really, really, really trying to go with healthy Megan. But, but unhealthy Megan is just sometimes a little bit louder or like a little bit more convincing. Right. So it's just, uh, it's really trying to not put so much weight on those initial thoughts mm-hmm. and, and acknowledging those second thoughts. And acknowledging the challenge of that first thought and why why it's initially happening. Seems to me like unhealthy Megan's losing a bit of steam. I know, right? She's tired. <laughs> She's tired. I mean, um, um, I have some great doctors and I have a new psychiatrist. And uh, she told me all the meds that the original doctor told, put me on um, were very incorrect for me. So the beginning of the year uh, resulted in a lot of med changes, which I do not do well with. My mm-hmm. body really struggles. Um, while on the island, both med changes that I went through resulted in a, an attempt. Um, so I was very anxious to even acknowledge or like say that I'd be okay with another med change. But this psychiatrist went really, really slow with me um, and got me off of, of those prescriptions um, with very minimal withdrawal symptoms and at the same time put me on new medications that I'm actually metabolizing are actually used for what I live with and aren't just the generic like commercial ones, right? So um, 
I do, I do recognize that the medication has definitely helped. Um, it's like, it's like diabetes, right? Like you can sit there and be diabetic and like feel like crap if you're not taking your insulin. Um, but then you can feel better just because you're, you're like working with modern medicine, right? Right. Um, so I do find that that's very, very helpful as well. Um, it's definitely played a part along with like every other piece. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about start starting working. And, so, and how scary was that? Holy! Yeah. So one, it was very difficult to find a job. Um, okay. So I have my degree uh, in child and youth care counseling, which we talked about, but mm-hmm. I definitely wasn't going to work in that field. Okay. Um, I've been off work for four and a bit years. Um, I felt healthy, but I was still very, very anxious. There were still bad days, mm-hmm. um, and I just didn't feel safe doing it. So I was trying to find other jobs, um, and it was very difficult. It's very hard to hand someone a resume with nothing on it for four years and them to even call you back. Um, I, I'm very open. Um, they could have Googled my name and, and seen this podcast, which kind of maybe screwed me over because I was so open about the struggles. But I found that no one would really give me a chance to even explain my story or to explain how I, I had changed or... Um, the different techniques that I was using that are allowing me to work. So um, thankfully through like some connections and through softball, ironically, um, I found a job uh, and I'm very grateful that they took a chance on me, right? Like I could have easily relapsed a weekend and been like, holy crap, I was very wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, that's not the case. They're also a very supportive company. Um, they're a bigger company and they do spend a lot of time talking about self-care specifically, as well as success, um, which does look different for everyone. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a challenge. There's definitely days where I've, um, we sit in like a big office together and there's definitely days where I am not sitting in that office. I'm hiding in a corner, um, because I just can't function. Um, there's days where I have panic attacks in the bathroom. Um, and I, splash cold water on my face and I go back. Um, My company, or at least the people in my office, are very supportive. Some of them originally uh, listened to the first podcast, so I think they kind of knew what was coming for them. Um, A lot of people in the office are a lot younger than I am, um, which is amazing that they're they're doing so well in their career at such a young age, um, and they're really, really good at what they do. Uh, But sometimes they, they... come across a little bit naive in the sense that they don't understand or they use language that that can be very um, hurtful um, without they're not trying to right. do it of course it's just a little bit of like ignorance yeah um, so it's been interesting kind of being able to challenge them and and challenge those types of conversations um, and give feedback to the company in regards to to kind of like how to work with people coming back to work or just people in general living with mental illness. Um, everyone kind of needs accommodations, right? And ours just look a little bit different. I need to maybe not take lunch once a week so I can go to those appointments um, without missing work, right? right. Or, or allow me to, to work in the evening and make up for having to leave early. Um, so just kind of that flexibility piece is really helpful. And they've, they've adapted really, really well with me. Um, I mean, there's definitely hard days, uh, but I think that the biggest thing is they gave me a chance 
so I feel safe um, being vulnerable with them a lot of the time, at least my, my superiors, uh, maybe not sitting in the pit talking about this the whole time. Um, but my boss is, is very supportive. A couple of the women in my office are very supportive. Um, so I'm able to, to kind of go to them when I'm, I'm starting to, to freak out or I'm really struggling that day. Um, and they'll be able to, to not support me, but to kind of look out for me and, and realize why maybe I'm a little bit quieter or I'm, I'm a little bit shorter with everyone. Um, so it kind of just brings more awareness, I think, to the forefront, right? Totally. Mm-hmm. But it was very, um, very difficult. Um, I held myself to a very, so I'm a, perfe- I'm a perfectionist. So it's like all or nothing. Um, so I was scared I was either going to succeed or I was going to fail at this whole going back to work thing um, without acknowledging that like everything in life, it's a continuum. Um, there's days that I'm very successful. And then there's days where like I suck at my job. Um, but I think that that's just like being human. That's not even so much being mentally ill. Totally. Um, so it's very, it's very challenging. I do find that it weirdly makes me challenge myself more. So mornings for me are very difficult. I don't know why. That's just always how it's been. Um, I'm the most negative in the morning. I don't know if it has something to do with like the dreams I'm having. I don't know. The morning is very, very hard for me. Um, so knowing I need to be somewhere, like people are relying on me to be somewhere at a certain time. Um, is a really good push. I've done a lot of things in my life for other people. Yeah. Um, that's really, again, kind of part of my personality where I put other people before me. I move to different provinces. I, I do all these crazy things for other people. Um, I go to work in the morning for other people sometimes. Sometimes I am not, I don't consider myself worthy or good enough or, or whatever negative language I'm using to go to work. So similar, oh, someone else deserves this job better than me. Someone else will do this job better than I could ever do it. Well, somebody else didn't get hired. Mm-hmm. I got hired. So kind of just like pushing myself um, and being like, people rely on you. Like, it's not even so much me. It's like, I can't let these people down. Um, which like, it works. It's a motivator, right? Totally. So it's, um, it's very helpful. I mean, working was difficult, but um, living at home, allowed me to save money and allowed me to, to move out, um, which I wanted to do before my 30th, which is in February. Um, so I had done three months before my, my goal at deadline, um, which was so exciting. And I was so um, proud of myself. I did find it quite difficult because <laughs> I realized I didn't really take a lot in the breakup. I grabbed like 12 forks and one butter knife. Like clearly (laughs) I was not in the right frame of mind when I was packing up. So it happens when you pack your whole life up in 36 hours. But uh, so it was a little bit difficult to look and be like, oh yeah, he got that. Oh yeah, he got that. Oh yeah, this used to be, this picture of us is still in this frame that I want to use. So it was difficult, but then I kind of made it my own, right? Like it's my house. I don't have to ask anyone to put, if I can put this up, it's my my decor. It's I'm not looking at pictures of anyone else's family. I'm looking at pictures that of people I love and care about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely, again, just like everything, like it has, a, it's had, it's had its moments, um, where it's difficult, but then it's had some amazing moments where I'm like up till two, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, texting Carl <laughs> being like, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden my whole house is covered in frames and like <laughs> two o'clock in the morning and I'm putting like shelves up and I like, bought myself a toolkit. And I was like, I'm an adult. 
Um, so it like definitely fluctuates, but I, I try and hold on to those good days where I'm like, yeah, like this is my house. This is where I live by myself. Um, and obviously the job is the only reason why I can do that because being on disability before was not even enough to cover my bills, um, which was nothing like car insurance, gas and cell phone. I was still, still needing to borrow money. Um, so again, like acknowledging that I had that privilege of like having somewhere to live for free, having someone able to feed me um, and pay for medications. Whereas a lot of people on disability are on the streets because they're making $600 a month. And like, that's, that's not a living wage. Your, your medications um, a lot of the time are more than that if you're not on benefits, right? Mm-hmm. So it's such a huge barrier in getting better. Um, but I was very... I can't say it enough, very privileged to have that, that support. Right. Um, I struggle, not struggle. I I've seen a lot of adversity and I have struggled in the sense of acknowledging my privilege. So like we talked about Zambia, Mm -hmm. um, being there and, and I got malaria, um, which is miserable, but I was in the hospital and, um, malaria is like a virus. So you need to take antivirals. And that cost me $130 Canadian, which is about a year's salary in Zambia. So myself at 24 years old um, is struggling with malaria. And the woman beside me, 24 years old, uh, died from malaria for $130 Canadian dollars. So it was very difficult to acknowledge that privilege of being like, yeah, I I could afford to save my life in a weird way. Um, Or even just seeing how women were treated over there. I mean, we're not there for equality, but like they're so much farther behind than we are. Um, So then acknowledging like how safe I feel living in Canada as a woman versus how unsafe I felt being a woman in Zambia. So just similar to that is like just kind of holding on to that privilege and and recognizing that like I wouldn't be where I'm at without the love and support from my family. And I really, really feel for people who don't have that because I know it's not everyone's story. And um, I just... I, I just wish everyone could have that. And it just breaks my heart that some, some people don't because um, it's really been one of the biggest contributors to me feeling the way I'm feeling today in the last year. You've commented a lot that there's been a lot more good days in the last year. Yeah. Are, yeah. You, are you doing anything to kind of like take a step back and whether it's like reward yourself for mm-hmm. all the progress or even just kind of like meditate or think about all that progress? I wouldn't say reward myself. I think the reward has been <laughs> nice. I think that's like as as silly and like minuscule as it is, it's totally. uh, treating myself like an adult. Totally. I don't want, I want to have kimchi for dinner. Like, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I'm gonna have kimchi <laughs> for dinner. Like just kind of making these these decisions on my own has been so rewarding, Um, almost just naturally, right? Like rewarding in the sense I got a job, which then led to me moving out and just kind of the perpetual growth that kind of goes with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't go like, oh, you've been sober for a year. Let's go buy you a nice outfit, which a lot of people do. And that works for them. That's just not something that's motivated me. Um, But the meditation piece, the mindful piece is, is, so necessary for me. I fall asleep meditating. I'm going to say 98% of nights. Hmm. Um, I, I do a lot of mindful activities. So like journaling, uh, coloring, just kind of like sitting, um, like I have baths and I do a lot of like physical, um, 
like physical awareness. So like I lay in the bath and I go, okay, how do my toes feel? Okay, how do my feet feel? And work my way up slowly um, and really take the time on each kind of part of your body. And it's very interesting to be like, oh, I didn't even realize that my shoulders were, were at my ears or I didn't even realize that I'm frowning. Um, and just kind of taking that second to like almost shake it, shake it off. Um, but then I think, I think like the whole, the whole thing with mindfulness is like, it's a habit. It's like something that you need to work on to keep good at. It's not like you, you stop doing it as a bicycle. You just jump back on. Um, it's almost like, I don't know, swimming or like holding your breath where you, you get up to a certain threshold. Yeah. And then it almost like spills into everyday life. So even when I'm not purposely being mindful or meditating, um, I have these mindful moments. So those, that second thought that I was talking about, my first thought, I never acknowledged what my first thought was. I never even recognized some of these judgmental thoughts that I had. But now that I'm a little bit more mindful and connected to like my thoughts and my body, I'm able to notice like, oh, hey, that was a crazy thought. Whereas before it was just, it was just there, right? right? Yeah. Um, and I think I'm just able to like acknowledge my body and like the physicalities of it a little bit more. Um, I do spend a lot of time, like I said, journaling and kind of almost like debriefing things with myself. Like, why did you feel this way? What? And just like spewing it all onto a page. Hmm. Um, so writing about last night, the difference how I felt a year ago coming to this podcast and then how I've handled it this time. The anxiety is, it's the same activity. Um, I'm still feeling anxious, but my body is handling it very, very different. Right. So from one day to the next, I can experience a similar situation. My body is very different. My mind is very different. Um, so it's just trying to stay aware as much as I can. Um, and that mindfulness piece, like I said, it's just like a muscle. You got you to gotta keep on it or you kind of lose it. What is, uh, what is your like nightly meditation look like? Um, so there's a have, couple. Do you have structure? Are you thinking about something different? Are you recapping your day? Or you... So yes and no. It depends on the type of meditation. Um, a lot of meditation is you're not supposed to really be thinking, which is like humanly impossible because that's what your brain is meant to do. <laughs> but you're supposed to acknowledge these thoughts and let them go. So the visual that I've been taught is you're sitting on a riverbank and a thought comes in. So a leaf comes down the river and you're like, oh, hey, there's a leaf. But then you let it continue down the river. You don't let it stop in front of you, get stuck in a whirlpool. You pull it out of the water. You don't do that. You just go, okay, there's a thought and there it goes. Um, some of the, the meditations I do are body scans. So like I, I talked about in the bath. Yeah. Um, some of them are like light music. So it's more about falling asleep and they do, um, they do mantras throughout. So then I just repeat those mantras. I am enough. I am still fighting all of these kind of more positive um, affirmations. Fake it till you make it, right? Like eventually I'll believe myself. <laughs> so just kind of doing that. Um, a lot of the time, like I, I turn my phone off or like uh, blue light off beforehand because I do struggle with falling asleep and staying asleep. So just kind of that sleep hygiene routine um, is also super important to me and like preparing my mind and body. It's almost like Pavlov's theory, right? Do you know that one? The bell and the saliva dog? Yes. Yeah. So it's like he taught the dog every time the bell would ring, he would get fed. Um, so every time the bell would ring, the dog would start um, salivating. So it's almost like I have this alarm that goes off on my watch that goes, okay, you're an hour before bed. And then my body just slowly starts to like relax. 
I do my like bedtime routine, clean up, do all that jazz. Um, and then put myself in bed to actually do that last, last few minutes of meditation before hopefully I fall asleep. And most of the time I fall asleep before the meditation is done. Um, if that's not the case, then I get up because uh, you're not supposed to stay in your bed if you're unable to sleep because it gives it like a negative vibe. You start resenting your bedroom because you're like, ah, I can't sleep in here, blah, blah, blah. So I get up, maybe I walk around the block, maybe I do some stretching or yoga, and then I go back into bed, put on a different meditation, and then try again. With, uh, and I struggle, but I try not to be judgmental of that. Right. right? Like today it just didn't work. That's too bad. I'm going to be a little bit more tired because I'm going to bed an hour later, but I'm, gonna, I'm actually doing what's best for my body and giving it that space to actually get to a point where it's ready to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, you mentioned fake it till you make it. And that yeah. idea to me, <clears throat> you hear it a lot growing up, mm-hmm. especially with sports, like dress the way that, you know, good ba- yeah, for us, good for basketball sure. players dress, you know, mm-hmm. here's the new Jordan shorts. You look like a good basketball player. And I kind of bought into it, but the last couple of years I've kind of, I'm almost gone the other way. And now it's like, Carl, you okay? (laughs) Now for me, it's almost like I see, I see it as imposter, like being an imposter, like being fake. And so now in situations where I don't know the answer or things like that, where I used to kind of like play on words, I, I, I find joy and I, I feel better about myself being honest mm-hmm. and acknowledging I don't know everything. For sure. And then using it as a learning opportunity. Most definitely. And I completely agree. I'm uh, also like that. Mm. When I'm talking about fake it till you make it, I'm talking about bullshitting myself, blowing sure. smoke up my own ass, being yeah. like, no, you are enough. No, you are great. Yeah. So just kind of being my own cheerleader. And it's like, I sit there and I go, I don't believe this right now. But then just constantly repeating it, right? Mm. The more you hear it, the more you'll hopefully start to believe it. Um, but in like external relationships, mm. um, I'm very much vulnerable. I'm very much like this. I'm an open book. When I don't know something, I own that. When I screw up, I own that. Um, because... I'm trying really hard to take more responsibility for myself. I do find, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful or ignorant at all. Uh, my experience, at least with myself, was um, was a little bit harder to do that, to acknowledge kind of where I came from. Um, I would lie a lot about, obviously, my addiction. Um, so I'm just trying to be a little bit more responsible. Um, I've had a lot of experience with people Unfortunately, using mental illness as an excuse, mm-hmm. um, which perpetuates a lot of the stigma. Um, I read something that said, no trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility to feel better. It's your responsibility to fight against it. So again, if you have cancer and you're choosing not to seek treatment, that's, it's your responsibility. It's not your fault you got cancer. But it's your responsibility now to do something with that. Yeah. Whatever you do is your choice, but it's your res- you have to take some ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've really tried to, to take that on instead of, again, like I don't, I don't mean this to be negative, but I did find that I was very much um, victimizing myself. Um, oh, this, isn't, this has nothing to do with me. And, and this is the perfect storm we talked about. The yeah. fact that my brain works like this and the fact that I've experienced this trauma. It's like, yes, that all happened and that's all true. But in addition to that, I 
can acknowledge it. I'm very much aware of my trauma. I'm very much aware of my thoughts and behaviors. Mm. And it's my responsibility to to do something about that. If I didn't, then nothing's going to get better, right? So um, taking those steps, seeing those therapists, and really just kind of taking a little bit more ownership of my recovery. Um, I, uh, I was raised Catholic. I, I'm not practicing or anything, but... Um, everyone always says like, same, same with recovery. Everyone always says like, let God have it. Let God have it. Um, just like take it off my shoulders. My therapist said that there's this comic where it's like, um, this, this man is on his knees every single night. Please let me win the lottery. Please let me win the lottery. And God goes, you need to buy a fucking lottery ticket. And that's how I feel, right? Like I can keep saying till I'm, I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy. Give me all this positive as I'm laying on my back in bed. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, if nothing's changing, then nothing's changing, yeah. right? You can't, you can't keep doing the same thing and hoping for a different, a different outcome. So um, I've really tried to kind of like <clears throat> take the bull by its horns on the days that I feel like I can. There's definitely days where I'm just like, nope, this is, my body needs to stay in bed, right? Um, but I do try and like kind of take a little bit more ownership and responsibility uh, than I was a year ago, for sure, than I was for the last multiple years. Can we talk about booze? We can talk about booze, yeah. I just want to... You have a hell of a bar, P.S. Where? What are you talking about? Right there. That giant bar? I like Scott. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a wine fridge right behind me. Oh! Carl loves wine. (laughs) Oh, I'm aware. That's why I'm over here. There you go. Dating the right girl. Where do you... um, Or how did you find out... Or how did you figure out that you... We're abusing alcohol. Like, it's a, um, a funny question. So the first... I think the no. reason I'm getting at that is because I think a lot of people drink casually. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. drink more than casually. 100%. But most people that drink more than casually say it's casually. Mm-hmm. And so right. like, where's the line? And I'm, I know it's different for everyone. Yeah. So more just like from your experience, for how sure. did you know you were abusing it? So um, ironically, not ironically, um, scientifically... In that DSM we were talking about, there's an actual criteria that says if you are considered an alcoholic or like you're alcohol dependent or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really look at that. That's not how I knew. I knew uh, the night that I walked 17 blocks in minus 40 degree weather in Fort Mac by myself to get a Mickey of Fireball and then it was gone by the, by the time I got back to my house. Um, that was very telling. Um, in hindsight, I was abusing it way, way before that, but that was just kind of like a very rude awakening being like, mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing? It's minus 40. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and not having an answer, mm-hmm. um, was the biggest thing. Granted, I didn't get sober then. Um, I just got better at hiding it and like using different substances. Um, alcohol is a little bit hard to... To hide, I mean, you're slurring, you're falling over, whereas um, that that kind of graduated into pills for me and um, not like bragging at all. It was very like, very sad, very scary, but I would lose days on end. Um, my, par- my ex would say, like, we've had conversations and I would have no recollection from the last three days and no one would know that I was high. Mm. Um, so it was a little bit easier to to hide it which is bad um but with the alcohol alcohol is very interesting because 
It's the only drug that you have to explain not using. Right? Like I go to the bar. 100%. 100%. It's so social. 100%. It's it's so normalized. Mm -hmm. It's so social. Christmas, very much around alcohol. The summer, very much around alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, You even think of like Canada Day, Halloween. All of these things um, are so much involved with, with alcohol. New Year's Eve. Oh, my God. Um, Even just a a social meetup, right? Like you haven't seen your friend in a month. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's go get a beer tonight, right? Like camping, man. Camping, yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Um, And that was something I really, really struggled with. So I had two years prior to my relapse. I struggled a lot with with that piece before. I mean, I definitely struggle now, but um, it's like that fear of missing out, Yeah. right? Um, And it's, it's weirdly jealousy. Because, um, so we, we went through some trauma and a lot of the people in my family, um, did decide to drink during that time. And I was so jealous, so jealous. I was like, all I want right now is to not feel this shit. Right. And I'm sitting here sober and I physically and emotionally have to feel every one of these thoughts and feelings. And you all are, are numbing it a little bit. Right. Um, so it is very difficult. I have. I've made some amazing friends since being back here. I joined a softball team and they just welcomed me with open arms. Um, we actually went to high school together and I mean, I was partying and, and getting drunk in parks and they were recording all the episodes of Jeopardy in a week and watching them on a Saturday night. <laughs> so like we lived very different lives, yeah. um, but now our lives are so similar. They, they come over and watch Survivor with me and we do go to the bar for like family feud nights. Um, but they're, they're not drinking like I was used to drinking. Um, sometimes they're not drinking at all, which is really, really nice. Um, other times maybe they're having one. Um, when I was joining softball again, um, I, I almost did like a weird tryout thing because again, it's a beer league, right? Like sports are so involved with alcohol as well. Mm. Um, so I didn't want to get on a team like that. I was on a team like that when I was younger. Um, and baseball is just like, it's weird not having a beer in my totally. hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted a team that was not at all about that. And uh, the team that, that I'm on now and these friends um, were not like that at all. It's like we're the geeks of the league. And it's amazing. It's amazing because we can have, we go bowling and have fun bowling. Like it's just a very natural, almost innocent friendship. Um, so kind of surrounding myself with that, um, going to meetings. Um, one of my really long time friends also got sober around the same time as me. So that was, um, very helpful as well. Mm. And like, sadly I use energy drinks a lot. Um, so like if I'm at a bar, I'll get, um, an energy drink on the rocks because it looks like I'm drinking watered down scotch or something. Right. So I get less questions asked. Um, and then like at family, family dinners, I have a monster just to be a little bit buzzy and try and keep up with our friend (laughs) Carl here. Um, I also, I also use cannabis medically. So, um, in those situations where I'm, I'm at a family dinner and, uh, everyone's drinking and I'm so anxious that I'm like, I can't sit downstairs anymore or I'm on the verge of tears. I go outside and I, I go for a little, uh, a little safety meeting. 
With and, Carl? I mean, you know, he's a great friend. <laughs> he's a great support. Um, so, I mean, I get, I, I do get, and I'm sure I will get a lot of flack for smoking marijuana while being in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everyone has their own, their own story and everyone's journey is different. Everyone's definition of, of sober living is different. I consider marijuana um, a medication and it has very much saved my life. Um, and I don't, I haven't had a single negative repercussion from it. Yeah. Um, why, why is booze so accepted? That's a great question. It's, it's a very harmful drug for your body. hundred percent. It's extremely addictive. Most definitely. Why is it so socially acceptable? I it's wonder, been part of civilizations forever for thousands and like, thousands of years. It's like fun, right? Like it's like you get Until goofy. Until it's not though, Exactly. Right? Well, everything in moderation, right? But I think if you can control it and you kind of know that happy medium, you're not getting blackout, you're not getting sick, but you're getting like loose and you're having fun. Um, I don't know I if don't you know. feel this too, but for me, it's almost the other way where like really? I'd go, no, no, hold on. Let me finish this thought. <laughs> this might not have made sense, but the other way in terms of like going to a bar, I feel extremely awkward not ordering a drink. And even working in bars for five years most definitely people always always if they're not ordering an alcoholic beverage a beer or whatever they say i'll i'm i'm just gonna have a a coke i know yeah it's almost like you're apologizing for it why why um ironically somebody lied about me being pregnant because that was easier to acknowledge (laughs) than me not drinking it's so strange literally told people oh no she's pregnant that's why she's not drinking well, or, yeah, or no. people will say I'm I'm the DD tonight. Exactly. Well, if you do that, you get free pop. So, like, highly suggest that. <laughs> totally, yeah. Um, but it's it's very weird. It's very unacceptable. Um, the drinking age is 19 here, but if you're not drinking by the age of 16, like, you're not fitting in. Weirdly mm-hmm. enough, um, and I mean, I that's think- an interesting point too, because when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I didn't drink until I went to college. So I was wow. 18 ish. Mm-hmm. I, th- I had three vodka cranberries on grad night Ooh. on grade 12 grad. How old were you? 17. Yeah. And I was lit. Oh my Lord. <laughs> I was stumped. No, I'm just, I wasn't that bad, but I felt it pretty good. Wow. And I avoided high school parties mm-hmm. because I knew I didn't want to drink. That's awesome. Cause it was awkward. I went to a couple mm-hmm. and everyone like you throws beer around. And I'm like, yeah. I don't want to drink. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to drink this. It is. It's very awkward. People um, like I found either people avoid you and like don't want to talk to you because you're sober and like you're buzzkill. You're a buzzkill, right? Like not really. I'm 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 really fun when I'm sober. Like <laughs> no, people have that perception. I'm saying like oh, the person that's not drinking. Most definitely. Um, and I think part of it is like they don't want to embarrass themselves because like I'm remembering all of this. You might totally. not remember, but I am. Um, but then the opposite side of that, I've had people come up to me intoxicated and saying. I'm aware I have a problem. I just don't know how to stop it. Hmm. So you get both sides, right? Um, Neither of them I want in a bar, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think that was part of the reason for me asking, like, Mm -hmm. how did you know Mm -hmm. you were abusing it? Yeah. More just because I think a lot of people know they are or maybe they're not admitting it to themselves yet, but they understand that they're drinking too much or. Yeah. So there's um, like, there's this theory um, about changes in general. So like, 
uh, if you're trying to quit smoking or you're trying to lose weight. So just you're trying to make a change in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, the first stage is pre-contemplation. Like you don't have a freaking idea that something's wrong. Right. And then the next stage is contemplation. So you're aware of it, but you're like not really ready to make a plan. And then as the theory progresses, it's okay, you're willing to talk about it and like make tentative plans. And now you're making real plans. And now you have a safety plan and you're fully following through on it. Part of that kind of, um, if you, if you envision like a tornado as, as the theory. So it's not, it's not always a linear line. You're bumping back and forth. You're flipping between things. You're not doing them in order. Just like a clusterfuck, right? Um, so it's, it's really about where you're at. And I mean, I hit quite a few rock bottoms. Um, there was definitely times where I was in that contemplative stage of like, yeah, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was almost like I didn't care, but I also thought I wasn't worthy of like being happy. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if this is the only way I don't have to feel then like, cool, this is what I'll do. Instead of acknowledging like there's healthier ways of doing this. I don't have to do it on my own. Um, other people are also going through this. that also made it a little bit easier to, to kind of acknowledge. Um, the first time I got sober, again, like I say, I do everything for everyone else. Um, I was given an ultimatum, uh, get sober or get the hell out. Um, so I got sober. And originally, it was not for me. Originally, it was to save that, that relationship um, and to stay living there. Mm. Um, but then obviously, it, it turned into doing it for myself. But that initial piece wasn't for me. And I mean, I white knuckled it in that sobriety for two years. Um, clearly it didn't work. So I'm trying a little bit different of a, an approach this time, actually going to meetings. Um, my therapist, like I said, is, is almost a meeting in itself. We talk very much about the correlation between my mental illness and my, and my addiction and how that goes both ways, right? Mm. My addiction using those substances, alcohol is a depressant. So I'm using it and I'm getting more depressed, so I'm using it. And then I'm confused why I'm more depressed. Yeah. Um, so just kind of acknowledging that it does go both ways, right? I drink because I'm sad. I'm sad because I drink. How do I fix that? How do I stop that cycle? Totally. Yeah. So it's very um, interesting. It's not been easy at all. Um, I do still have moments where I feel like I'm missing out. Um, but I have, like I said, amazing people in my life. My family is is supportive. Um, I can still go out with my sister, cousin, and Carl and like have a hell of a time um, and not, not feel left out. Um, I've gone to things where I've definitely felt left out and I have to allow myself to just go home. I'm not going to stay there just because people want me to stay there. I'm yeah. not going to stay there in this uncomfortable feeling to appease somebody else. Also, I would way rather have my bra off and be in sweatpants on my couch <laughs> than at a bar anymore. But <laughs> that could just be turning 30. So, Is there any other drug like that? Cigarettes. That is so socially acceptable. Cigarettes Not anymore. Maybe cigarettes okay, used so to be. Okay, so vaping. Vaping is yeah. one vaping hit is but, the, as much nicotine as a whole pack of cigarettes. But you can't vape everywhere. Right? I mean, like you can't go into a bar and start vaping. You know what I mean? Like it's restricted. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Same thing. You could walk down the sidewalk drinking a beer, and people like that's one that I really, I really struggle with is the difference between smoking weed and and booze. Um, You look at the stats, and you look Mm. at the deaths based on each substance, and you look at um, the negative kind of repercussions and consequences, and it's the pro and con list is very Mm. one sided. Totally. Right. So I don't know why. Um, I mean, with marijuana, um, I think that 
back in the day, the government really kind of had that war on drugs and like didn't really think about it as like a bigger picture. It was just like, let's get rid of all these drugs. Let's just eradicate things. Um, so I think with the older generations, that might be a little bit more difficult. Whereas now it's very much seen and it's, and it's now legal um, or legalized. Uh, it's very much seen as a medicine. It's very much seen as like almost a healthy option, right? Yeah. Um, there's different stores that are almost like boutique stores. Like you can go to the BC liquor store or you could go to like a fancy liquor store, like a brewery. And it's the same thing, right? You can go to your local dispensary or you can go to a really nice like burb where you can, everything's like beautifully encased and it's like a gorgeous, a gorgeous uh, location, right? So it's just, I think it's just like society having to come back around. Do you think um, cannabis follows the path of weed though? Like when, when did boo or sorry, follows the path of liquor. Mm. When did liquor become legal? 20s? Yeah. 20 something? The 20s, 30s. So it's been a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And a hundred years from now is cannabis as widely public as it is. Oh, I hope so. As booze is now. Like when you walk into a bar, oh, I want the, 25 mg gummy and they deliver that to you on a plate like is it that socially acceptable the thing is like if you have a beer you're not really bothering a person next to you right but yeah. if you're smoking right there's smoke there's clouds there's all this and you're affecting everybody but not for edibles for so edibles is different yeah with edibles i think the biggest piece of that is it's very difficult to um, measure what's going to be in each edible so for example if you're making a flat of brownies or you're making a flat of gummies that you're then going to cut up you have to ensure that that THC and CBD are evenly distributed. So you're not having a, a square of, of a brownie and nothing happening to you. And then you have a square the next night and you're like caspered on the couch, like can't move. So they need to be able to um, measure it to the point of every time you have the same size brownie, it's mm. going to have the same reaction. But that was probably the same issue with booze when it was illegal, right? You didn't oh, really know sure. what you were getting. Well, you didn't know if it was a 20% yeah. liquor or a 60% liquor. Yeah. Especially if it's made in a bathtub. <laughs> fun. The fun way. Yeah. I don't know. I'm interested to see where cannabis goes. I also, I mean, um, you look just back at society in general and like uh, morphine and heroin were given out for yeah. headaches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's... <laughs> We keep learning and I'm sure we will keep learning. Um, I had a very interesting conversation exactly about that in regards to watching the language we use um, and kind of the stigma that we're portraying and like perpetuating. Um, So for example, if the language you're using isn't bothering you, clearly you're selfish. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also didn't realize that driving around in cars without a seatbelt was dangerous. And then we realized people fucking die. (laughs) So put a seatbelt on. And it's exactly the same thing. We didn't realize that we were impacting other people's lives with the language we were using, with these judgments. Research shows we're doing that. So put a seatbelt on, right? Like just like notice what you're saying and really take into consideration that you are impacting other people. Totally. Even if that's not your purpose, it's the perception, right? Totally. People used to play hockey without helmets. Like I know. <laughs> goalies used to not wear helmets. That's insane. So right? stupid. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have learned and come a long way, and we are going to continue to learn and, and go a long way. Right? On that note. Yeah. Understanding now that mm-hmm. we continue to learn, we mm-hmm. continue to get better. Mm-hmm. How come so anxious about turning 30? Like, wh- where, where does that come from? You or, know. Or what's so intimidating about 30? 
Why 30? I think, I, I don't think, I know. Um, so 10 years ago. So the, the New Year's is very difficult for me in general because it's all about reflecting. It's mm. all about goal setting. Yeah. And I struggle with both of those things. Mm. So this New Year's was New Year's, but it was also the turn of the decade. Um, and really my first like adult decade, right? 20 to 30. Um, so I really, I really tried with the reflecting and I really, really struggled um, because 10 years ago, this is not where I thought my life would be. Um, when I was 20, I was going to be married with kids at 23. I was going to have that white picket fence. Like I had this whole game plan. Um, and that is not where I am. Me neither. Um, right? <laughs> like life happens, but I have that weird, weird, I'm not at the, the quote unquote end game that I want to be at, or I mm -hmm. thought I would be at at 30. Um, I have friends who are getting married and they're pregnant and I'm like so beyond excited for them. And then I'm celebrating the fact that I got a job. It just, that comparison just feels like I'm in a different, um, I'm in a different race than the people around me that are my age. Mm. Um, and that's kind of where I struggle is with that comparison piece. The comparison is so tough though. Cause you, you, even a close friend, Carl exactly. and I continue to get closer. How much do I actually know about what's going on in Carl's sure. head? 2%, Most 1%. Definitely. Yeah. So your friend that's having a baby or that just got married, are they actually happy? Or maybe they hate their career. Exactly, right? Maybe them and their For mom sure. are fighting. Most definitely. Like you just have no idea. Exactly. So that's why I really struggle to compare what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. I admire some things that people are doing with their businesses or I admire certain qualities about mm -hmm. friends and stuff like that. But to compare just doesn't make any sense to me because our paths have been so different. See, right? and that's the thing is what I'm comparing is a moment in time. Sure. I am comparing this like One's destination, aspect, yeah. which is life's not a destination, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm trying to be happy, there's definitely days where I'm going to meet that. And then there's definitely days I'm not. So yeah. it's, it's like you're saying, it's about this path. It's not about this destination. And mm -hmm. I, for some reason, have so much weight on that destination um, that I like really struggle to let go of the comparison. Hmm. Um, specifically with the, the baby piece, I mean, society is already up my ass about why I'm not married and have a kid. Um, but I have some like reproductive issues as well that um, I was told at a very young age that I may go through menopause around 30. Um, that's two weeks away or three weeks away. Like, I'm not pregnant. I was, no. I was 20, oh, okay. 21 when I was told that, um, with my diagnosis. So, um, living with endometriosis is very difficult, but then also, I mean, living as a woman and having that kind of biological clock piece, sure. but now I feel like mine's sped up even more. Um, I had this weird, um, idea that if I wasn't pregnant by 30, it was just not physically possible, um, which could very well be the truth. Um, but that doesn't mean I should have been pregnant before. I, that doesn't mean I should have settled to be with someone just because I was scared of this, this, totally. this termination date or this like end day that, that was looming. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think yeah. that's a huge win. Yeah. Is the understanding that yes, this is important to me. I think this mm -hmm. is important to me. I think this destination of having a baby, whatever it is, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to sacrifice the relationship. I'm not going to settle exactly. for someone who just doesn't really make sense just exactly. so that this destination can happen. Exactly. And I think a lot of people struggle with that too, right? Most the destination of having the baby mm -hmm. in this example is more important 
than the next 70 years of your life. For sure. Being married or whatever, being in a relationship with this person. I definitely relate to that. I mean, uh, I'm not at all taking away from that five-year relationship, Mm -hmm. but in hindsight and through a lot of therapy, um, the end, the last couple of years were not good years. Obviously, I was very sick, um, but also... I was holding on because while I was three years in, that's a lot closer than starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. That's three years closer to marriage. That's three years closer to a baby than if we were to break up and now I'm, I'm back at square one. Um, but it's not square one, right? Like the, the being in a relationship or, or having these things is not all of me, just like mental illness is not all of me. Um, so I've really been trying to kind of I don't know, nourish those other parts of me. So being a better sister or spending more time with my grandma or um, really kind of taking care of myself and almost like dating myself um, for mental health awareness in, in the summer, I took myself on a date. I went and got myself my favorite food. I took myself to the drive-in and saw a double feature all by myself. And I was totally like, that's how I wanted to spend my day. So that's how I did it. Um, and maybe before that wouldn't have happened. Um, because I was putting so much of my, my worth into a relationship that, uh, wasn't, wasn't healthy, wasn't benefiting me anymore and stopped benefiting me a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and like when we first broke up, that's all I could think of is, oh my God, now I'm single. I'm never going to have babies. Oh my God. And, um, as like hurtful as this may come across, uh, I'm very grateful that we didn't have kids. Um. Though I probably asked him once a week because I was so wrapped up in that. Um, I'm very grateful that that didn't happen because I don't know if I would have ever been able to take the time to get healthy right. um, or really focus on myself or get out of that relationship, right? Get out of that kind of negative cycle that uh, that him and his family perpetuated a lot. Good news is Carl and I will always be a year older than you. I know. Oh, my gosh. Car- we, we <clears throat> I'm threw- almost 31. Well, so is he, like March. Oh, she knows. Yeah. I'm her crutch. Carl's March. I'm April. <laughs> I totally am. We, uh, his girlfriend, my sister and I threw him more Samantha. She like was a freaking party planner, but uh, threw him a surprise 30th last year. Um, and I think the first thing I said to him was, I'm still twin and now. <laughs> um, it's very nice. Uh, it's hard because like my birthday is very early in the year. So the majority of people turn 29 later than me. I have friends that just turned 29 at the middle of December. And I'm like, oh my God, I've had, I'm like the same year as you, but I'm almost a year, full year older than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, yeah, I definitely love to make fun of Carl. Um, I also have a friend who turns 30 the week before me and whew, that week is going to be the best week of my life, dragging him through that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a very weird there's a lot of pressure around 30. I feel like maybe not now. Everyone's saying like 30s are your new 20s um, and you don't really need to have things figured out. Like you, you don't have four kids like they used to have in, in my parents mm-hmm. um, or my grandparents' generations. Um, so it's kind of just like shrugging that off and a- acknowledging that people get married a lot later in life. People have babies a lot later in life. People find new careers and start succeeding a lot later in life, right? So. Um, just because I'm 30 doesn't mean it's over, but just because I'm saying this now does not mean I want to celebrate my 30th, (laughs) which is like upsetting to some people, um, which like, cool. 
uh, but it's my birthday. I'm going to cry if I want to and not celebrate if I want to. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, my sister and I have, have planned a weekend trip because it's the long weekend, but it is not a birthday trip. It is a sister hanging out and strengthening our relationship trip. Um, and I'm super excited for that. But if it, which is weird because it's obviously the same trip. It's just, I don't want kind of like full circle to the beginning of the podcast. I don't like the attention on me. Yeah. I don't like people praising me. I don't like um, people wanting to celebrate me because some days I struggle to like even spend time with myself. I struggle to be in my own head or, or like myself. So I don't want to hear how all these people like me and love me. Like it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes because I'm like, oh, cool. Like you guys clearly don't know me because I'm a shitty person, right? Mm. Um, obviously that's just the bad days, but. I hold like no weight on birthdays for me. Good. And part of it may be because I don't really like the attention. Yeah. Says the guy with three podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> just I don't kidding. think, I don't know. What I like about the podcast platform, yeah. rather than like public speaking, there's a lot of attention on that one that's person, fair. right? Yeah, that's true. There's three people here. Yeah. Just so happens See? that Carl knows a shit ton more about technology than me, yeah. and he understands how to take whatever we're saying right now and put it onto the interweb. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I have no idea what he does, by the way. I don't either. <laughs> I think he just makes it up as he goes along, like It's pure magic. I know. He's crazy. <laughs> it's a wizard. I am. Um, <laughs> poor Carl. So the day after our podcast last year, I, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, man, like, I know you do the editing. Um, do you mind editing out the fact that I thanked my boyfriend because he just broke up with me? And he did that and it was flawless and you couldn't even tell. And I was so happy. He's I mean, a magician. I know he is. It's insane. You're welcome. Oh, Carl, do you much, like the attention? Because you're getting a lot right now. I don't know. <laughs> Go buy the wine, wine fridge over here. Uh, the reason, so I don't really like celebrating my birthday, mm -hmm. and usually what I do on purpose is text the like whatever 15, 20 people, including like I have six siblings, so 20. Yeah. Text is not that many friends. It's a lot of family. <laughs> I don't, I'll just text those people the day before and be like, hey, I'm going for a beer on Friday night, tomorrow night at this location mm -hmm. at 7 p.m. If you want to come, great. Uh. My first thought is, what if no one shows up? What if people feel obligated to come because it's me? I, that's what mm -hmm. I mean. Like this, I just, I have these weird stories, right? Like I don't want people going out of their way for me. So, so that's why I do it last minute. Yeah, it's just that like, makes sense. if you're not doing anything, come cool. hang out. Yeah. I just want to see a few people if they want to come. Yeah, for sure. But like this idea of planning a party for myself is the most foreign thing to me in mm -hmm. the world. One, I don't want the attention, but two, you can't really talk to anyone when there's 60 people there, right? I know, right? So it's if insane. eight people show up, amazing, because I can actually say hello and that's chat true. with them, right? Yeah, that's true. For sure. More intimate, hmm. more one-on-one. -on -one. Um, my mom and I got into it last night. Sorry, mom. Um, because <laughs> she really, really wants to plan a 30th birthday. Um, she's trying to kind of meet me in the middle in regards to like, let's do something low-key. Let's go bowling. Like doesn't need to be a crazy surprise party like Carl had because um, mm. I probably would have turned around and walked away. <laughs> um, but I'm like, I'm really struggling with it. And she keeps saying like other people want to celebrate me, right? So, okay. Um, but I think the biggest piece of that kind of argument was she's going away for the next three weeks. So she wants to plan my party now. 
Like, I'm not thinking about this for the next month. I'm not having people text me RSVPs for the next month. There's no way. If you want to plan it when you get home two days before, cool. Kind of the same thing. If you can make it, if awesome. If you can't, I'll see you another time. Um, but this whole, like, she's like, oh, it's a month in advance. People can mark it off in their calendars. I'm like, don't mark it off in your calendars. Like, if you want to do something else that day, do something else that day. I don't want you to feel obligated to come spend the day with me because I've been around the sun 30 times. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just not, not really oh, the way I've ever been. Um, is it, is it, has it been all the time? Like, did she throw you a 28th birthday party or did so you celebrate I didn't celebrate my birthday last ages, year. Whatever. Um, last year I was in like a pretty dark space, so I didn't mm. do anything. Um, we usually do like a big family dinner. I didn't do that. Mm. Um, I had dinner with my immediate like parents, sister, grandma, Yeah. but the cousins didn't do anything. Um, Sam actually gave me my Christmas or my birthday present in the parking lot of a restaurant because I said, this is not my birthday dinner. We are just hanging out. Um, so she was like, Hey, I like, uh, I got you this. Um, but like before that, I mean, when I was 20, whew, everything was about my birthday, my 20th birthday. I think I had three parts to it. I like got my <laughs> hair and makeup professionally done. I had this obnoxiously disco ball dress because I just wanted everyone to look at me. Yeah. Um, that continued. Then I got to a point like 24, 25, 26, where I feel like, um, I spent it with those that I loved. Um, but I did celebrate. We, we had dinners. We, uh, my ex and I would go, um, go tubing on the, the mountain in Fort Mac. It's not a real mountain cause it's Fort Mac, but, uh, we would do, we would acknowledge it. Um, and then when I started getting really sick, so 28, I, uh, 27, um, I was just out of the hospital. Um, so I was really, really struggling. You look at the pictures from that family dinner and like, you can tell that I'm dissociated. You can tell I've been crying. Um, and I don't like that, right? Like I'm looking at everyone else and they're so happy in these pictures. And I'm like, I wanted to be anywhere but there, which is so crappy to feel like when you're with your family. Totally. Um, 28, same kind of thing. Didn't really want to celebrate, allowed people to celebrate me. 29, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't see my friends. I, uh, I spent the, the evening at home. I mean, my birthday's on Valentine's Day, so we don't often go out for dinner on that day because everybody is out for dinner on that day. Everything's more expensive. It's loud. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, so we do usually like stay home and make tacos or like homemade pizzas. Um, so it, it has that like intimate feel to it. Mm. And I'm totally, I'm totally fine with that this year. Like, let's make some homemade pizzas, mom and dad. Um, but like anything more than that seems like a fuss and I don't want to be a fuss. Carl, you should get her a uh, 29.10 card. Right? Is there such a thing? 29 one more time. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Yeah. That's what I'm going to hold on to. How has no one thought of this? This it's has got to be like, like a card thing. It's also like, I didn't really celebrate 29. So like, maybe I'll just celebrate 29 this year. Yeah. Like maybe I'm just turning 29 again. My, my grandpa's birthday was on February 29th. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So he has like 12 birthdays right? or something. So grandpa, he died like, I don't know, seven or eight, seven or eight years ago. And he was like 22. That's insane. <laughs> right? That's so crazy. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. That would be very, yeah, that's funny. Did yeah. he celebrate on March 1st or do you celebrate on the 28th? Uh, I think on the 28th. Yeah. I was, think. was it a big deal every fourth year? Oh, frick yeah. yeah. Let's get a awesome. real birthday every four years. Yeah. Like yeah. 
then maybe I would celebrate 30. It's like, I haven't had a birthday in Well, 40. good luck getting to 30 because that's 120, right? I know. <laughs> exactly. Holy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, shall we wrap up? Yeah. It's almost eight o'clock. Is it? Oh my goodness. How did we do this again? Right. Holy. I told you it'd be easy. It was so quick. It's very easy. I yeah. know. I was so anxious again, but uh, like last time I came in, like you said, with notebooks of, uh, of prep. Yeah. Um, and this time I, I was texting Carl. I'm like, oh, I'm anxious. Like, what do I, what do I talk about? He's like, you're fine. Relax. Yeah. And I was like, no, like that wasn't helpful, bro. Like, <laughs> what am I supposed to talk about? He's like, it's fine. I'm like, okay, thanks. Um, and my anxiety decided to deal with this podcast as uh, procrastination. Let's just say it's not happening. Um, and then at work today, I was like, okay, like maybe, maybe I should be thinking about this um, through my, through the old podcast on. And that was really all my prep, mm. right. Was, was listening to last year. Um, I think that kind of goes to say a little bit more about my confidence. Like mm-hmm. you said, Absolutely. right. I was so scared of, of disappointing you and disappointing mm. Carl and being like, Oh crap, Carl put me out there and he's going to hate me. <laughs> um, so I wanted to be so prepared and I wanted to really kind of protect myself from quote unquote failure. Uh, but this time it was almost like, I feel a little bit more confident. I feel like a little bit more positive in what I'm talking about. So it's less about the theories and trying to mask the, the crap that I was feeling yeah. and more, um, more organic a little bit, less scripted, mm-hmm. uh, but still very much real, right? You're not alone in that too. Because for me, how, how, how many times did I have that note sheet? Oh, like yeah. I, used to, I used to make a note sheet for every single podcast yeah. and it would take me... Anywhere from like one to two, two and a half hours wow. to put together. Mm-hmm. It would just be like a little bit of research on the person, what mm-hmm. they do for a living, whatever, whatever. Yeah. I found that I was looking at the cheat too much. Yeah. So even though I prepared more, mm-hmm. the conversations were worse or less genuine mm-hmm. because I'd be like, oh, I really want to ask this question. So yeah. you'd start talking and then you'd end your point and then I'd just go into a completely yeah. different topic, which is not really a conversation. It's like a Q&A. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I really, uh, I noticed when I was re-listening to the podcast, I did that a lot in the sense of like, you would ask a personal question and I would answer with the theory mm-hmm. um, because I wrote down all these theories. I wrote down how important they were and how to describe them in um, in more like understandable language. Yeah. And, a, and I mean, I stand by everything I said. Those theories are very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did come across as almost like textbook, um, which is fine. It's just um, different than kind of where I'm at now. And that was, a, I think, very much a protective mechanism. Sure. Um, because what if I go off on a tangent? What if, right? Like it, I, I just lose my train of thought. What if it just goes sideways? At the same time, though, there's, it's, it was interesting to hear how you kind of used those theories most to definitely. benefit you, right? Right. And even a couple of the things that you said, that $100 thing per day. Yeah. Like, I think about that all the time. And, you know, a lot of people have said that. A lot of people mm. have um, have reached out in regards to, like, how those theories affect their life or how they're implementing them in their life mm-hmm. because they're a little bit easier to grasp, totally. right? So I know last time you, you struggled with understanding um, kind of, like, the laziness behind it or, like, the lack of motivation. So it's... It's a really interesting way of describing how people feel in a more understandable language. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it all the time. I, I, I think that it's so universal, right? Like everyone knows what it's like to run out of money yeah. um, and then kind of be screwed. So It just kind of helped me understand 
situations better, right? So mm-hmm. something ex- like a very anxious, stressful situation for me, mm-hmm. I'd come out of it feeling good that it's over, mm-hmm. but like physically exhausted. Yeah. And so now in those situations, I'm thinking about, oh, this is the reason why. Like mm-hmm. I put so much effort into this Yeah. that it makes sense that, you for know, sure. whatever, 80 bucks is gone. But exactly. like, I'm just feeling exhausted. Exactly. Like, um, and self-care isn't always about like the bubble baths and the, yeah. the facials. Sometimes it's going to therapy or sometimes it's like making, uh, making sure you're getting your meds refilled. So sometimes when I go to therapy, I'm all, like, I worked all day. I came here, maybe I had 20, $20 left, which is super exciting. But I go to, to therapy and I attempt to go into therapy with a hundred um, the, the most that I can, Mm -hmm. because when I leave there, I am a disaster of a person. Mm -hmm. It is the biggest mind and body workout ever. I leave there cold most of the time because that's how my body reacts, but physically sore with a headache, so thirsty, weirdly enough. (laughs) And just like, I want to sleep for the next 48 hours. And it's a weird like detox that your body is going through. Um, but is, it's just exhausting, right? So it's, even though it's good for me, it's still draining those those spoons or that that bank account. Yeah, it's interesting you say cold. When for whatever reason, like after listening appointments, although I'm I've done hundreds of them now, so I feel pretty comfortable, and yeah. I'm like I don't really get nervous unless they're like big properties that maybe I'm uncomfortable with. But most of them I feel fine. But I come out and my hands are frozen. Interesting. Hmm. It's such like a weird body reaction that my body you know just. Why? It's exactly the same as like, like when the you're fight or flight. Type yeah, of thing. it is. Yeah. So it's trying to protect. It's recognizing that you're you're anxious or your heart rate is up. So all of your blood goes to protect your vital organs. Yeah. So like my feet, I was joking. Um, one of the first things I do when I get home is put fuzzy socks on because like my work shoes don't allow for that. Hmm. And I sometimes I'm going to bed with a heating pad on my feet because they're still not thawed out hmm. because they're just cold all the time. Because when I'm anxious, all that blood just goes into to my vital organs, right? Yeah. So it sounds. Similar. Whereas some people, when they're anxious, they just start sweating. And it's like, that's a completely different physiological That happens to me. Oh, so that's interesting. I got both. Perfect. You You never know. My hands are frozen. The cold sweats. Oh, you never know if you need deodorant or gloves. The first couple of years of real estate were were brutal. There would be appointments where it's a little bit hot in the Mm -hmm. room and I'd be like dripping sweat. (laughs) Whereas like normally it's just my armpit sweat. But my hands are frozen. (laughs) It's so strange. Our bodies are so crazy. Yeah. It's very interesting for sure. Thanks so much for coming back. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun again. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I appreciate the vulnerability and the the platform to kind of bring more awareness as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. Obviously, I haven't seen you in a long time, so I didn't didn't know what tonight was going to bring, but I'm pumped at how, like I said before, like how confident and positive you are compared to last year. Thank you. I appreciate that. I do not want at all to feel like, or for anyone to think that I'm like sugarcoating it because there's definitely shitty days still, a hundred percent. Um, there's still days with suicidal ideation, but like I said, these good days are are really outweighing the bad days for the first time in, in probably half a decade. So I just hold on to the good days and, uh, they just keep coming, which is nice. Totally. So, yeah. It's amazing. So happy to hear that. Thanks so much. Chat again soon, I'm sure. Sounds lovely.